This is Beyond Riel, a UMFM limited series that delves into the history, culture, and challenges facing minority Francophone community in Canada. My name is André Marcheldon. And I am Ian T.D. Thompson. We are excited that you have tuned in as we explore La Francophonie in Canada. This series is sponsored by La Société de la Francophonie Manitobaine, the advocate for the Franco-Manitobaine community. This project is also supported by a Taking a Global grant with support from the Canada Service Corps and the Government of Canada. Our previous episodes explore how a common language and a lively culture brings together Francophone communities. Our next topic concerns who is part of these Francophone communities. The topic of Francophone identity and who is part of the Francophone community has been actively debated for many years by those in the community. In the next two episodes, we will explore this question by talking to two individuals who historically would not have been considered part of the Francophone community. We will begin this conversation first by chatting with Derek Bentley. Derek's first language is English, yet that hasn't stopped him from becoming extensively involved in the Francophone community. In 2011, he was the youngest recipient to the Prix Riel, a prestigious award given to leaders in Manitoba's Francophone community. Derek previously worked at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights and now works as the general manager for the Conseil Jeunesse Provincial, which is the French Youth Council of Manitoba. Derek was also recently named a Future 40 finalist by CBC Manitoba. Derek, welcome to Beyond Riel. Thanks for the invite. So Derek, just to uh, kind of get us started for this episode, I was kind of hoping you'd be able to tell us a little bit uh, when you first started getting exposed to French and when you specifically got interested in the language. Yeah, honestly, it was pretty much pure luck. So both of my parents um, decided to put me into an immersion school in kindergarten and talking to them later on, there was really no good reason other than their neighbors that said it was the better school in the area. So they didn't really pick it because of French. They were just told it's a good school, send them there. So that's where I started kind of right in kindergarten, a French immersion school. But then perhaps my realization of the importance of French and like my interest in the language um, really occurred kind of in as I switched to a high school at the start of grade nine. And that's when it kind of started to hit me that, wow, like I'm really lucky to have learned a second language. Not everybody has this chance. I think as a kid, I kind of assumed everyone speaks French and English, but it kind of hit me around the partway through grade nine. Um, and that led to a whole slew of other decisions and involvements later on in life. Um, so got lucky with the parents. And then it really hit me as I hit that high school phase and later on as well. Is there like anything specific that you can say that kind of hit you that kind of made you realize like why you wanted to, to keep learning French and why you saw the value of, of learning French in Manitoba specifically? Yeah. So I think like from kindergarten to grade nine, I was in what they call a école milieu. So like a milieu school where it's only immersion. Um, a lot of schools have an English program and an immersion program. I was in a school that was only immersion from kindergarten until I switched to a high school in grade nine where it became a dual track school. So there was an English program and the immersion program in the same setting. And I found really quickly that I was starting to lose my French. And a lot of research shows actually that the milieu school is more effective in teaching French, keeping it up, et cetera. So as I started to lose it, that's when it really helped me realize I don't want to lose um, this language when in a lot of ways I've worked so hard to learn it from kindergarten through grade eight my whole life. And that pushed me to actually change schools partway through grade nine. Um, I ended up going to a Francophone high school as a non-rights holder, they say. So because my parents, my grandparents don't speak French, I didn't have the right for a French first language school, but I was able to get in and continue my education there. But for me, the primary goal of that was to really 
keep the language. And by making that switch, I was started to be exposed to the community itself. Kind of until that switch, I didn't even really realize that there was like a Francophone community that existed in my head. You know, it was my friends, my teachers, random people I knew that spoke both languages. But as I switched schools, I was kind of exposed to this whole new world where people were raised in French at home. I had never really known that as a thing. And it really opened my eyes to something much more than what I'd kind of seen as a language that was used at school. It became more than that as time went on. So for myself, my first language is French. Both of my parents are, are Franco-Manitobans, so they enrolled me in a French school and I never really thought twice about it, right? So there's a lot of folks just like myself that went to a French school, never thought twice about it. But there's also a lot of folks that I always see went to an Anglophone school or an English school and, and never thought about sending their kids to a Francophone school. So can you go into a little bit more detail why it was such a challenge and, and why you, you weren't able to just simply say, hey, I want to learn more French and be exposed to even more French and, and go to a French school instead of uh, just going to French immersion? Yeah. So I think like the first part of that is that getting into an immersion school is not a right in Canada in any way. So often parents or youth, but it's often the parents have to fight with school boards or petition governments to make sure that there's funding available, immersion schools available. And often a solution that gets proposed is these dual track schools where we'll just tack on an immersion program and there we go. We don't need different schools. We can just hire some teachers, not all of the additional teachers. The administration in terms of a principal might not speak the language. So it's kind of been a solution, even though the research has really showed that that's perhaps not the ideal. In some ways, I was lucky from the kindergarten to grade nine, but then I became unlucky that I was unable to access a French immersion milieu, so fully French immersion high school. So that making the switch for me was important because I wanted that experience where it was all in French. And really, are the programs that different? Absolutely. There are differences between a Francophone program and an immersion program. But for me, the key really was I didn't want to be surrounded by three quarters of the students that didn't speak the language. Makes it pretty awkward to speak it. What I didn't know when I tried to switch was I just saw it as another school. I we drove out to Ile des Chênes, a small rural community where this school was. I knew I could get a school bus, visited the school, talked to the principal, some teachers. I knew some of the students there and ended up deciding that, yeah, this is the school I want to go to. We shared that with the principal. I thought it would be easy, done deal. It was not. The principal, during this meeting where I was talking about, yes, I want to come here. It would be great. When can I start? Keeping in mind, this was halfway through the school year. It was probably December. I'd already done a few months of grade nine wanting to switch. Everything's going great. Talking to the principal in French. And he turns and says, okay, we need to stop this here. And I have a few questions for your mom. Now, my mom doesn't speak French at all. So he switches to English and asks her three questions. And the first is, do you speak French? Well, the answer was obviously no, because they were speaking in English. Um, the next question was, does Derek or do your parents speak French? Answer was no. My mom immigrated from England. Um, and then the last question was, have you or your spouse or their grandparents learned French for four years um, in a Francophone institution, whether or not they still speak it? Have they learned it at some point? And again, the answer was no. And what I quickly learned is, therefore, I did not have the right to go to that school. And I was kind of shocked. What do you mean? A school is a school is a school. But students who have English have the first as a first language have the right to go to an English school. The same thing works for those that have French as a first language. And therefore, those schools are essentially protected in the minority setting. And I had no idea that that was even a thing. 
So I was then told that there's a backdoor way to get in. I mean, that involved kind of meeting with the parent council of the school as it's the parents who get to decide if there's exceptions made or not. I was lucky again, in some ways, we knew somebody who was on that parent council um, and I was eventually led into the school through, again, an interview um, with myself and my mom. And I always found it strange because it was always focused more on my mom and my mom was going to be involved. I was in ninth grade. My mom wasn't going to be all that involved. I was going to be a teenager, but went through the whole process, was able to get in and then did my whole high school in a Francophone high school. And as time went on, really started to learn and kind of dig into some of the, the politics and the complexities around policies that go on. And I mentioned that for me, it was a back door, but that back door existed in some schools, not other schools. It was really on a bi-school basis in terms of who could be let in in that situation. And perhaps the last thing I'll just add is I always found it interesting because it had nothing to do with whether or not I could speak the language. Sure, it did to an extent. Had I shown up and didn't speak a word, probably wouldn't have been let in, but it was really focused on how is my family going to be involved in the experience? And I always found it frustrating that it wasn't based on me as a student and whether or not I could succeed in the school. It was really based on a whole bunch of other factors. And had I tried to get into an immersion high school without speaking the language or without a certain level of language, it never would have happened. Like immersion programs are set up in a way that you can only have entry past a certain point. So it was just the strangest experience overall of getting into a school that I assumed wouldn't have been a problem. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. So would you say that the fact that you were able to attend a French school for most of high school was a catalyst for your involvement in the French community in Manitoba? Yeah, like absolutely. I It really opened the door to that French community. At the same time, I don't want to discredit like the immersion side. It's possible that had I been in a different immersion program or even in the one I was in and I stayed for the four years, the same thing would have happened. Really hard to know. But I do think that kind of making that switch definitely opened that door faster or in a different way. Part of the struggle with immersion is there's just so much variety in terms of different settings, different, I don't want to say different programs because it's the same program, but different ways to administer the program perhaps is a way to look at it. So it varies so much that it's kind of hard to guess at what my experience might have been. But yeah, I would absolutely agree that being in that francophone setting that's already linked up to kind of all those different community groups and centers and activities definitely made it easier to kind of have that entry point into those activities, settings, community groups, also without the assumption that French wasn't my first language. Because I was part of the school, that was the running assumption that everyone there learned French as they grew up. I did learn French as I grew up, just not at home. So I definitely think it gave that advantage of opening the door and a different way and perhaps an easier entry point than had I still been in immersion. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So you did end up getting involved in the Francophone community. Could you mention some of the different involvements that you did have growing up? So I could probably have a list for the next two hours. I was very involved kind of across the board, but some of the big ones for me, it was really important to kind of do things that were in French, even if it wasn't about French. Um, and then the Conseil Jeunesse Provincial, the provincial Francophone Youth Council in Manitoba put on lots of different events while I was in high school and after as well, because their mandate is for a youth 14 to 25. And I really got involved in absolutely every event they put on from big youth rallies to small projects at festivals, voyageurs, and specifically 
perhaps the most important one for me was youth parliament. So these simulation parliaments that happened, yes, in Manitoba, but also throughout Western Canada, Canada, even internationally, I had the chance to go to Rome one, and I think I did 20, 25, maybe 30 of them overall between ages 14 and 25. And again, most of these projects are done in French, but they're not about French. Um, They're just normal projects that anybody could do. The language of choice just happens to be in French. And it was a great way for me to kind of expand French from just being something at school to something that was much broader. And of course, by participating in these events, you end up building networks and having friends. And still today, I talk to people that I met at those events. And I think in many ways, that's how I've been able to kind of continue my francophonie is through those networks and friendships that I made in a lot of those different events that allows me to live it today, even though I might not be in a school where I'm learning French or in a workplace where I necessarily speak French every single day. So I owe a lot to those kind of different events, the youth rallies, the Conseil Jeunesse, the youth parliaments, the Canadian Francophone games, all of these different projects that help me build those networks, friendships, and use the language in a way that I didn't even know existed. Oh, that's perfect. And I think actually the first time we met was actually at the Manitoba French Youth Parliament. Sounds about right. We attended a few of those together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so would you be able to, to finally kind of just talk a, li- a little bit about how you use French in your day-to-day life now? And you can also maybe talk about pre-COVID if the situation is quite different. Yeah, so it's definitely different, but a lot of the ways are the same in terms of a lot of it's just more virtual than it was before. So essentially most of my social life, I'd say, happens in French because most of the friendships I have were created through different Francophone events and therefore we generally speak French. There's obviously English thrown in because we're all bilingual, but kind of the primary language of use is French, whether that's in group chat texting, one-on-one, outside for a walk at an event. We try and use French as much as possible because that's how we met. That's what we're comfortable in. Now, pre-COVID, there was also lots of events going on in the community, and I would often be kind of a volunteer or participating in those events in a whole bunch of different ways. Those events are mostly online now or don't, don't exist, but kind of the same idea of finding ways um, through community events, through what's going on, to just be able to use the language and experience um, the community. So that's kind of been my way of like, integrating La Francophonie in my daily life. And I will also say that kind of through different work experiences. So with the museum, like it is a federal institution that is bilingual. Now the workforce doesn't have to be because of how all those laws are written, but I do have the chance to speak a good amount of French at work. And I'm thankful for that because I know for many people, that's not the case, but the primary way for me has really been social through events and really making that transfer from outside of school to community to be able to keep it up because unlike someone like yourself, Andre, I don't have parents I can talk to in the language. It's really just me and my family. So it's that, that social network that keeps it going for me. It's interesting because if I were to have to say like, what's the language I speak at home? Well, it's really nothing because it's just me. So when I fill out the census, it's always a strange question. But when I think about my life, I'd say the majority of it is really in French and the minority would be in English at this point. When I'm with my family, English when it's anything social it switches back to French um, which is interesting in my mind anyways for somebody that wasn't raised in French um, I was kind of able to make those connections anyways despite it not being officially my first language. 
Derek, this has been very interesting. We really appreciate you providing your thoughts as well as kind of your story of how you've kind of engaged with uh, the, the Francophone community over the years. And you've kind of touched on this, but, I, but I'd be kind of curious uh, in your own words, because it, it seems to be there's two sides to this. You know, on one side, you're very much engaged with the Francophone community, you know, through all of these events, the social networking. But on the other side, you kind of talked about you know, some of the initial challenges of, of getting engaged with that community. And I just be, I kind of be curious at a macro level, how do you perceive yourself in the Francophone community at this time? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I perceive myself as a Francophone. For me, there's no question about it. I see myself as a Francophone. I think there's multiple pathways to be a Francophone and that whether or not your parents taught you the language or you learned it in some other way, you still learned it. It's not like somebody's born and they speak a language. You learn the language. And I think there's different ways to get there. Because of that, there's different ways to be Francophone. And therefore, I see myself as a Francophone. If I were to switch the question around and say, how does the community perceive me and my identity? Most people I know would 100% say I'm a Francophone. No issue. But I do know that in the community and people that know me very, very well, they might not say overtly anymore, but they do not see me as a Francophone and they don't think I could ever be a Francophone because there still is a very common thinking that if you're not born it, and there's a whole bunch of issues with that, like I just said, because nobody can be born anything, but if you're not born it, you can't become it. And I think I've been lucky in Manitoba that that thinking has shifted greatly over the past, say, 20 years in terms of accepting kind of those different pathways to be Francophone or to be a member of the community. But especially in some of my work outside of Manitoba, it's even more prevalent than it is here. And I always find it interesting because my accent has really shifted over the years. And arguably when I speak French now, I don't have that like classic immersion Anglophone accent. So people can't tell by my French that that was kind of my upbringing. So it's interesting to see sometimes how people's perceptions change once they hear my story. So I could have met somebody and been talking to them for days or weeks or months without them knowing my background. But then when they find out, it's like, oh, why are you even in this space? Or why do you have an opinion? Because I wasn't born in the way that they thought. And it always leads to interesting conversations. Because if you could accept me before you knew, how come hearing my history or my past or knowing about my parents changes your perspective on who I am based on what you've just learned it's always interesting how people perceive themselves versus how a community or people around them perceive them. And I think I've been lucky in Manitoba for the most part, but it has definitely been a challenge at times. Yes, getting into the school, but even kind of throughout high school, even after today still, some of the comments or some of the things that get said about students who are in immersion, and it definitely hurts a little bit hearing those types of things and knowing that hey, I'm one of those kids too. And I'm not just this random exception. I've been lucky in so many ways to be able to get involved the way I have. Not everybody has that chance. And there definitely are still some issues out there in terms of accepting those different pathways of being Francophone of learning the language. No, and, and again, we really appreciate you, you sharing this story because, um, you know, it's kind of get, getting the, the awareness of it. Now, you talked a little bit, you just mentioned kind of how in the last 20 years, there's been a bit of a shift in just in terms of, of how welcoming the, the Francophone community is. But I was wondering if you might be able to speak a little bit more about what could the Francophone community do to make it more welcoming to people such as yourself who want to get more engaged with the community? 
Yeah, so I think the the biggest struggle in a lot of ways um, in the community is a bit of a generational gap, but an understandable generational gap. So I think we need to remember that in the Francophone community in Manitoba, but also different ones across Canada, it's not that long ago that language rights were taken away. For example, in Manitoba, the Francophone School Division was only created in 1994. So that's not 100 years ago. It's it's very recent. So there's um, lots of memories around the fights to get that. And therefore, a lot of perhaps fear or worry that still exists in terms of we could still lose that. that although these rights are there and that they seem set in stone, it's kind of always this ongoing battle to preserve what's um, already been done. And we see it all over the place, whether it's cuts to Francophone universities or city halls that get sold, or there's a whole list of examples that can be perceived as kind of this attack on la francophonie. I can understand this kind of side of we must protect it at all costs and that the enemy in a lot of ways is those who don't speak French because they just don't get it. They've never been part of the community. But I think what the community really needs is to keep putting that aside in terms of the enemy may sometimes be those who don't speak the language or who don't understand the community. But that if we're always saying, no, this isn't for you, to every single person who didn't have two parents who speak French, the community is going to lose more than it's gaining over time. And there's such a richness of people that exist that don't necessarily go to a Francophone high school or a Francophone elementary school. And I think it's important that we, and I say we because I consider myself part of that community, we, we don't let the fear of what could be lost or could happen exclude those from joining. And to keep in mind that there's students that have French as first language that go to Anglophone schools. There's students with French as a first language that go to immersion schools, just like the opposite happens sometimes in Francophone schools that I think we need to move past this idea of your parents decide who you are and your kind of your journey through la francophonie by being a bit more open and understanding that there are those different pathways to join. Why would we want to tell somebody that says, hey, I want to come to that French improv night or hey, I want to come be a volunteer at Festival du Voyageur. Why would we want to tell them when they're showing that clearly they want to be involved? No, sorry, that's not for you. Personally, in my experience, generally, if somebody wants to kind of destroy a community or come attack it, they're not the type that's going to want to get involved and use the language. I think we need to be more open to those types of people who are making the effort, who are showing different ways. And again, it doesn't have to be by volunteering, but just by showing up, by saying, I want to be a participant in this event. It's really important. And linked to all of this is there's also the uh, immigration, refugee, and kind of new Manitoban side where uh, lots of people from outside Canada might not have French or English as their first language. So because French isn't their first language, it could be their second, third, or the language they use most commonly. But again, we can't just exclude them because they were raised on a different language and then learned French later. We need to include these people who want to be involved. Um, and make sure that we're showing people that the door is open if they want to make that choice. And I would argue that door is the same for anybody, whether French is their first language or not. Someone needs to make the choice to be involved and to participate. But let's just expand who can make that choice and stop judging them based on their accent or where they went to school or who their parents are.
So I, I, I kind of want to focus on one aspect that's kind of a, a thread throughout this in con- this conversation has kind of been the importance of the parents and who and who your parents are. And I was wondering if you might be able to to talk a little bit about uh, the organization Canadian Parents for French and and kind of your involvement with that uh, organization. Yeah, so Canadian Parents for French has existed for over 40 years now in Canada and is often credited with the reason that immersion French immersion programs exist in Canada. So when it was originally created, it was a group of parents, mostly moms, but some dads that really wanted their kids to be able to learn French, but they didn't speak French themselves. Hence, Canadian parents for French, not necessarily parents who speak French, but they're for French, specifically for their kids. Um, And they worked tirelessly to ensure that the federal government, but also provincial and territorial governments Um, offered French immersion programs for their kids. And I owe a lot to that organization, um, even though I wasn't even born yet, for the fact I was able to access an immersion program when I was able to. Knowing this, I was able to get involved with the organization, um, kind of first out of high school with the Manitoba Canadian Parents for French. And then about four or five years later, um, I was actually named to the National Board for Canadian Parents for French. And now today, um, I am the president And we think the youngest president ever of the National Canadian Parents for French. And it's interesting because I'm not a parent. I don't have kids yet. Um, But really, the organization is there to promote the importance of French second language learning for all those that call Canada home and really focuses on those that don't have French as a first language, but that still see it as important and vital to kind of the, the social fabric of Canada that see linguistic duality as important for all Canadians, but specifically for Canadian youth. So although I'm not a parent, that's absolutely something that I hold to heart. And I know that if more people were touched by organizations like Canadian Parents for French, they'd probably be more involved in La Francophonie, just like I've been able to. I'm very thankful and lucky to now be the president of that organization nationally and kind of help continue to lead that work as it's not everybody that has access. We see over in BC, for example, that parents often have to line up at midnight to hopefully get the right lottery ticket so that their kids can get into a French immersion program. And it's really exciting because through the work, one thing that will hopefully be changing is the Official Languages Act of Canada is being modernized and it's this big project. Um, But One thing that's been suggested in kind of the reform documents is that the government of Canada work with provinces and territories to eliminate French immersion wait lists. And that's never happened in Canadian history. There's always kind of been these wait lists or issues getting access. So it's exciting that kind of this focus is being placed across the country on the importance of French second language learning and realizing that, yes, there needs to be spaces for French first language, for Francophone schools, Francophone universities. Yes, there needs to be spaces for Anglophone schools, Anglophone universities, but that there's this big kind of gap in the middle of people, parents, students, youth, children that want to know both languages and therefore should have access to learn both in a variety of different ways. Immersion being a really, really big one, but even through core French programs um, in an English school is much better than not learning the language at all. This has been great, Derek. Thanks a lot. We've uh, touched on quite a bit from kind of the challenges for you kind of wanting to get more involved in the French community, especially in your education, but kind of having these hurdles in the way and kind of 
uh, now like all the involvement that you've had to uh, essentially help others kind of get involved in the French community and kind of grow the, the Francophone community as well. I, I was wondering before we finish, if you had any final thoughts on any topics that uh, we might not have touched on that you would kind of want to highlight before we end this episode. Yeah, maybe the last thing I would just say is that kind of all through growing up till today, it's like there's been this artificial hierarchy created in La Francophonie where it's like, you have the best francophones that often have like both parents who were born in the province that taught their kids only in French. They didn't watch Disney movies in English. It was always in French. And then all of these like subclasses of francophones that get worse and worse and worse um, as you get to the bottom. And often the bottom is immersion students, or it could be immigrants, refugees, people that kind of don't have that. I was born here in the language. And I think that's the work that we need to do is we need to do the work of stopping that artificial hierarchy and kind of starting to just see people as equals and acknowledging that everybody kind of gets to a point where they want to be a member of any community. It could be francophone, but it could be other communities too. They get to a point where they want to be part of that community. And when somebody's at that point, the community needs to have strategies and different initiatives in place to make sure that that person can feel welcome and included and that we're not just turning our backs or switching to English because we don't actually want them to be involved. And I think there's some important self-reflection for all of us to do, whether we're an important member of the community at arm's length, just show up to an activity here and there, but some important self-reflection for us all to do, myself included, about some of the things that we might do without even realizing that have those unintended consequences um, to make somebody feel like, hmm, maybe this isn't actually for me. Because I lived that many, many times where mm, maybe I don't want to keep speaking French. Maybe I don't want to be involved. I always chose to push past it and continue, but I can definitely understand why lots of people, no matter what their first language might be, make that decision that, you know what, I don't want to deal with some of these different things that are going on or feeling like I'm not included. Hopefully through that self-reflection on the individual basis and then at kind of that community group level as well, we can continue kind of pushing that message of, the importance of inclusion, of diversity, of equity within La Francophonie and recognizing that we all have different journeys and pathways to kind of get to a spot where we want to be a member and we want to be involved. So I'm really looking forward to kind of the next year, the next five years, 10 years, 20 years to see where the community is going to go and hopefully how it's going to continue to grow and expand to be more inclusive. Eric, this has been fantastic. Thanks a lot for uh, coming on the show and talking about these really important topics with us. Anytime. Our conversation with Derek highlighted the roadblocks he faced to studying at a Francophone school. While someone like Derek would historically not have been considered to be part of the Francophone community, Derek identifies as a Francophone and has been recognized by the community for his leadership. Derek's presence and leadership in the community demonstrates that the Francophone community is becoming more inclusive. Thank you for listening to Beyond Real. Tune in next time where we continue our discussion of Francophone identity. We'll be speaking with Blondine Tona, a French-speaking immigrant from Cameroon who now lives in Manitoba. Executive producers and hosts are André Mathieu-Bon and Ian T.D. Thompson. Technical producer is Frédéric Demers and consulting producer is Gabrielle Tuga. The music you hear on Beyond Real is by Rayana. To hear more of her music, visit rayana.com. That's R-A-Y-A-N-N-A-H.com. Beyond Real is a UMFM 101.5 limited series broadcasted out of the University of Manitoba. For more information on the series, visit umfm.com. Thank you.